What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and for those of you guys out there that are saying, Ron, we need Dynasty videos. Where's the Dynasty content? When are you going to talk about Dynasty? I'm spoiling you guys. Yesterday, we did a 2023 startup mock draft just to kind of go through the motion, see what the first 10 rounds of a Dynasty startup looks like 13 weeks into the year. And I got something else for you guys today. We're going to talk through the 2022 draft class 13 weeks into this draft class's life in the NFL. And it's going to be a little bit of a redraft and a little bit of just talking through what my new top 15 looks like if we were doing a rookie draft today. Just kind of talk about how I felt about them back in May, how I feel about them now, what has changed, what they've done in the NFL. And we're going to break them up into tiers, S tier, A tier, B tier, C tier, and just kind of group these prospects through 13 weeks of their careers. Now, the reason that we're pumping out so much Dynasty content is we have Dynasty rankings fresh off the press on the Patreon. So if you guys are out there playing Dynasty, you want rankings to go off of for trades, maybe you have a startup coming up soon, that'll be on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. I just pumped out on, that's a weird way of saying that, but on Tuesday night, I believe, or Tuesday night, I think, uh, it has my top 200 Dynasty Superflex Titan Premium rankings, my top, I think my top like, 75 running backs, like 90 wide receivers. And for all of them, I have them listed. Buys, sells, so you can go out there, make good trades. Because I know that while a lot of leagues have the deadline already passed, there's also leagues out there that don't have trade deadlines in Dynasty. So a lot of good stuff on there. You get my RS prospect grading stuff, all of that on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. It'll be down below in the description, down below in the comments. Let's not waste any more time. Let's go. Now, when I set out to make this video, in my head, I was like, all right, we're going to do it rapid fire. I'll just keep it to like, you know, three to five bullets for each player. You guys know me. We went deep here. I think I have, fellas, I think I have like 10 pages of notes. Now, to be fair, there's a bunch of graphics, a bunch of pictures that are definitely widening things out, but we went deep on 15 of these prospects. Now, we're going to whip out the good old, reliable tier list maker here. And we're just going to kind of go 1 through 15 here. Now, our, now, I also want to say, within each tier, I really only feel strongly about the tiers, right? So if you have somebody, I have five players in my S tier. If you believe that five should be one and you should flip them, some things around, I really don't feel that strongly within each tier. If you look at my dynasty rankings, like each tier is probably separated, you know, within like the same... 20 pick conglomerate so you can kind of move things around from there but i just kind of wanted to section things up here uh and first up we have the guy who is my 104 going into this draft class garrett wilson and i think people are going to not love this they're gonna say this should probably be Brees hall if it's a wide receiver how come it's not chris olave and I just want to sort of go through Garrett Wilson's case of just being like, I, I think I would value him like in my rank is in a vacuum. I think that he is probably worthy of like a mid to late second round startup pick. He is that good right now. And we're just going to go through kind of what his resume has been this year. He comes in top 10 pick elite prospect flashed at school second year, really, really good. Like his second year in a wide receiver room with uh, Jamison Williams, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Um, Chris Olave, of course, even like Jeremy Rucker, like they had dogs on that team. And he goes out there and puts up a Jamar Chase like year two, year three, a little bit of a come down, but that's because Jackson Smith and Jigba was there. Chris Olave was also there. 
and things kind of stagnated a little bit. Now, fast forward to the NFL, and on the entire year, he's been very good, but if we just cut things up into him playing with Zach Wilson and him not playing with Zach Wilson, in five games, five games is a pretty damn big sample, in five games without Zach Wilson, he is on a 105, he is on a 194 target, 105 catch, 1600 yard, 14 touchdown pace with 20 points per game. Now, obviously, that's not super, super sustainable. But as a rookie, averaging 20 points per game in games without Zach Wilson, he's still on a tear right now. That is really, really impressive. And something that I also have liked looking at recently, I don't know how I'm going to implement this. I don't know if if I'm going to see if there's a way to put this into the model or for sophomore comps, but something really cool that 538 put out is a receiver rating overall score where they take you see the receiver ratings uh header you have open catch yak so open is how good you are at getting open i don't know how they calculate all this stuff i think it's tracking a little bit uh but you have open score so how well you're getting open your catch how good you are at the catch point and then your yak so how good you are in terms of yards after catch and he checks all the boxes right so we're talking 20 points per game without zach wilson we look here he is one of only eight wide receivers with an 80 or better overall score we are looking at, you know, in this list, Diggs, A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill, Jefferson, Chase, T. Higgins. Like This is an elite, elite list to be a part of. He's also eighth in their yak score. So he's great at getting open. He's great at producing on the field. He's great at after the catch. This is something that I didn't really even expect for him coming out of school, all the yak ability that he has had. But he has been amazing after the catch. He makes guys miss all the time. He had a catch last week against the Vikings where he almost took like a, I want to say it was almost like a 15-yard in. Like it was some, it was a route breaking into the middle of the field and he just runs down the sideline. Like almost, if it wasn't for like his pinky toe stepping out of bounds, he almost outruns the entire defense. He is insane after the catch, which also, not to go on a rant, but I do kind of want to implement Yak into the prospect model in the offseason and kind of toy with it a little bit. Because um, I do think that that is something that's important. While it's not like sticky, sticky, but I thought that Garrett Wilson, honestly, Again, you guys know I don't watch film and study film. I thought he was a little bit more of a Calvin Ridley, uh, Stephon Diggs type possession wide receiver. That is not the case. I can't really even think of a uh, a comp for him in terms of like a skinny guy that's great at yak. Because you have like, you know, your Debo's of the world. You have your AJ Browns, but those are big hulking wide receivers. Like I think, like maybe you could say Ayuk. Maybe you could say like a Jamar Chase after the catch. I, I would say that he is somewhere in that area now. We have talked through production. He's at 20 points per game. He looks amazing in this 538 stuff. He is also a route-running savant. This is from uh, Matt Harmon's Reception Perception. He did an in-season rookie report where he broke down the wide receivers. And if we look at his Reception Perception, this is what Matt Harmon says. He says, Garrett Wilson had a stellar Reception Perception prospect profile. We knew he would be good. The fact that he's this good right away is a pleasant surprise. He leads all the 2020 rookies in success rate versus man and press coverage. So among all rookies, even Olave, who's a route-running savant, he is better than all of the rookie wide receivers in success rate versus man, success rate versus press. And this bottom one, he has a 78.4% success rate versus man coverage, which would have put him just between A.J. Brown and Justin Jefferson last year in 2021. That would have been second among all wide receivers. That's 78.4% success rate. His 82.8% success rate versus press would have ranked fourth best. So these are top five numbers he's posting as a rookie in reception perception. It's insane. Of course, that's a smaller sample. You have to remember this sample was from actually earlier in the year. So this is before like this three game like heater he's been on 
uh, without Zach Wilson or like two game heater, if you want to call it that. Uh, really, really impressive stuff. And the last thing we'll run through, like this is just me sort of showering him with compliments. I just want to show you guys like across the board, there was nothing that Garrett Wilson doesn't pop in. If we look at uh, his PFF grade, which is a really, really good way to gauge wide receivers, right? If we just, uh, this is me just in my database sorting year one PFF grades. So this is all of these guys, rookie years, PFF grades. He's, Garrett Wilson's at 84.4. All of these guys outside of McLaurin have top 12 finishes and about like 80% of them have top five finishes. It is nothing but hits across the board. OBJ, Jefferson, Michael Thomas, Jamar Chase, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, AJ Brown, Demarius Thomas. People cut off of this list. Anything above 80 plus in PFF grade means that you're going to be a stud in the NFL. Currently, right now, he has the sixth highest PFF receiving grade for a rookie wide receiver of all time since 2007 when I started charting this. I think that they've done receiving grades since like 2010, but yeah, it is really crazy how great Garrett Wilson has been this year. Again, there's no holes. Clean prospect, comes into the NFL, wins in all phases, already looks like that guy, is producing with guys like Mike White and Joe Flacco as his quarterbacks. He comes in. We also had Elijah Moore, who we loved going into the year. Elijah Moore is also like a, you know, a huge target share guy as a rookie. And Garrett Wilson comes in and just completely eats his lunch right away. So that's why I like Garrett Wilson. Again, if you have some minor nitpicks, if you want Brees Hall over him, I think you can do that for sure. But I I just, I don't see any holes. I think I, in this most recent rankings update, I put him as like my wide receiver seven uh, in Dynasty. After that, we're going to go Brees Hall at the 102. This is my 101 coming into the class. And if he didn't tear his ACL, he would very easily uh, be over Garrett Wilson. And again, anybody in the same tier, it's a coin flip for me. Uh, and when we're talking about Brees Hall, the reason, the reason to buy into Brees Hall, or the reason to buy him on rebuilding teams is how Brees Hall is going to hold value this offseason. If we look at, this is Travis Etienne, his positional rank value since he was drafted on keep trade cut. And we see August 16th, 2022. That's the one I wanted to highlight because that's right before the season. As things kind of get to a crescendo in the offseason with Travis Etienne, he got steamed all up to RB7, even though he didn't play a single snap his rookie year, had an injury, and was 23 years old. And if you look here as well, if you if you scroll all the way back, right? So this is his all-time value. His value hit an all-time high in August this year. So all of the rookie hype he had coming into the draft, first round draft pick in the NFL, all of that, his highest value through August 2022 was in August 2022, despite never playing a down. Now, this time around, Brees Hall had a seven-game stretch where he was an absolute monster out there. And instead of being 23, he's 21. So you have a guy that I think is going to hold top five running back prices in Dynasty through the offseason. He's probably one of the safest assets to invest in right now because he did too much on the field in his time to not be valued there. And on top of that, he's still super young in a running back landscape that's pretty depleted. And even if you want to say the 2023 class is going to be better, of course it is. You can put Bijan ahead of him, but then like after that, maybe Jameer Gibbs. After that, there's really no one else that's going to be displacing him. All of the veteran guys are going to be falling below him. And if you look at what Brees Hall did, he balled out. And it's an absolute shame that he got hurt, man. He averaged 16.4 points per game. He had a 13% target share, both 
top 10 at the position this year. And that was just through seven games. We know that rookie running backs, wide receivers, they backload their points. Like imagine Jonathan Taylor. Imagine Jonathan Taylor goes down in his first seven games and we never see that late season stretch. I truly do think there's a Spider-Verse, Multiverse out there where Brees Hall doesn't tear his ACL and he's like, you know, competing with Josh Jacobs, Eckler, McCaffrey at the top of that running back totem pole this year. And this is even including his last game where he broke off a really long touchdown versus the Broncos, then tears his ACL. Very long, yeah, like a long touchdown, tears his ACL. He was on the back of like two straight 20-point games. It really sucks, but he was really hitting his stride as he tore his ACL. And thankfully, it's a clear tear. There's no additional damage. Like, it's not like a structural thing. Like, I think J.K. Dobbins had an absolute brutal one. I think J.K. Dobbins might have even had some hip issues too. It seems like from everything that I have read, it is just a clean ACL tear. He did it, you know, week seven, so it's not terribly uh, late into the season. He should be good to go for next year. He's going to be 22. You're going to be staring at him as a running back that probably could have flirted with 20 points per game as a rookie. His receiving profile is insane. 13% target share. nothing to sneeze at. These are his comps, by the way. I don't know why I didn't talk about them, but these are the the bottom of the screen. These are his comps where I took into account uh, elite running backs, with similar points per game, I always go, I go 20% up, 20% down. So 16.4 times 1.2 and then times 0.8. Uh, just to kind of get a range of like kind of what he looks like on paper. Matt Forte, Najee Harris and Trent Richardson isn't that great, but Dalvin Cook, Chris Johnson, DeAndre Swift, he looks the part. And again, this is only through seven weeks. I, I guarantee if I had a uh, comp database that had like just every player's through seven weeks, I would honestly venture to say through seven weeks, Brees Hall, probably nobody was really messing with him. Um, in terms of points, or not, nobody was really messing him, with him, but you get what I'm saying. Or if we had a full year of Brees Hall, he could have improved on those numbers. Now, the reason that I think he's a safe investment is running back in Dynasty, it's getting ugly. The minute the season wraps up and players aren't scoring points anymore, McCaffrey, Saquon, Jacobs, Eckler, Chubb, Derrick Henry, all of those guys, their value is going to tank. It's going to be extremely difficult to even sell one of them off for a 2023 first. Brees Hall is going to be a guy that I don't think in the offseason you'll be able to buy for less than like two first. So that's kind of where my head's at uh, with Brees Hall. Then we have our pre, uh, our post-draft 102, and right now I have him as my 103, uh, Drake London. And I know people aren't going to love this because he's not really producing the same way. Like I can't go through seven pictures of Drake London dominating like I just did with Garrett Wilson, but... He was a super clean prospect, young prospect, 21 years old, early declare, balled out at USC. I also still kind of like the idea that he was a uh, basketball player at USC as well. He was a legit basketball prospect, by the way. He was a three-star recruit. He was a three-star recruit, and he was like right next to in the rankings of uh, Coloco, who I think played at Arizona and then got drafted last year to the NBA. He was a legit recruit coming out of, uh, I think that he was a, a California kid, but regardless, Really clean prospect, top 10 draft pick, and he hasn't been producing like Garrett Wilson. Like he hasn't been a league winner this year. In redraft, you probably prefer you probably prefer Wilson, Olave, Watson over Drake London in redraft. You can make a case that Pickens is probably a better uh, in redraft. And here's the reason why. Atlanta has Arthur Smith calling plays. He's slow. He runs the ball. They have the third lowest plays per game and the second lowest pass attempts per game. So that is a, you know, there's it's one thing to be like a neutral offense that runs the ball a ton. Like a, I believe that that's going to sort of get you into like the San Fran area. But if you are running the ball a ton, and then you're also super slow, 
and your play volume is down, it's just a brutal environment to produce in. So it's tough to blame his production on him. And this early in a player's career, I'm really just leaning into talent. That's all I care about. We see situations change all the time. Like Geno Smith just came to the Seahawks. We all thought the Seahawks were going to suck. They've been great. Same thing with Jared Goff has been serviceable this year. Every single year, there's players that sort of come out of nowhere. Trades happen all the time, right? No one's expecting the Kadarius Tony trade. There's a lot of things that happen in the NFL that you can't really adjust for. So when a player is 21 and he's a rookie, I really don't care what the immediate looks like right now, right? Like right now, the Falcons look like a mess. Their coach isn't that great for fantasy purposes. Their quarterback sucks. We're going to deal with a rookie quarterback next year. Again, you really just don't know how things are going to work out. So I'd rather just sort of leave that up to fate. And I would rather just bet on the talent. And he's been great. He's 10th in the NFL in target share with a 28.1% target share. He just came off of a game where he had a 50% target share. He's 10th in the NFL with a 25.6% target prop run. He's demanding targets. Like Garrett Wilson, he looks good on the field in PFF grade, but Garrett Wilson was 84.4. Uh, Drake London's at 79.2 right now. So just under that 80 threshold we're looking for, but still great. There's no real reason to move off where you were pre-draft on Drake London. After that, we have my pre my post-draft 105. Uh, and now I guess he's my 104 now, but it's not really a huge jump or anything. Kenneth Walker. And with Kenneth Walker, very simply... He has flashed early. He's a 22-year-old rookie running back. And similar to Brees Hall and Travis Etienne last year, Kenneth Walker can kind of do whatever he wants the rest of this year and still not fall below the top five, six, seven running backs in Dynasty. So that's why he is a very sound, maybe not long-term investment, but like the next 365 days, there's no running backs that are going to hold value better than Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. He's explosive. He has long speed. He's exciting to watch. I have him in redraft teams. He is very fun. He's explosive. He's dynamic. Still, my only pushback on why, I, I know that some guys have him ahead of Brees Hall. I've even seen talks of him being like RB1 in Dynasty. I got to push back on that a little bit, fellas. And it's that the pass catching isn't where we want it to be. And these are what his comps look like in my database. If we filter for day two running backs with similar points per game and similar target shares. And he isn't producing at like an insane rate, 14.6 points per game. So just shy of 15 points per game, 7.7% target share. Points per game is great. That target share is tough though. 7.7% is pretty low. I want to say it's outside of like the top 20, 30 running backs. And it kind of puts him in this bucket of someone that could flame out early, like a Jeremy Hill uh, or an Antonio Gibson or an Eddie Lacy. Of course, Eddie Lacy was a, was a weight thing. So I, I don't like using him there. And then his other, his high-end comps are Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb, who are very good in real-life players. I think Kenneth Walker is going to be a really good in, in real-life real life player. But the issue is that that's still a low-ceiling archetype, right? Nick Chubb has yet to register a top-five running back season. Jonathan Taylor had a top-five running back season last year, but it was 22 points per game, one of the lowest RB1 overall seasons ever. Uh, so you don't really have this, like, home-run swing upside on him. And that's my only pushback. Uh, regardless, it feels like we're nitpicking with Kenneth Walker. I think that he's fine. If you want to move him up to, like, RB1, you can do that. I'm going to chill on that personally. But again, I think it feels like we're nitpicking. To me, Kenneth Walker feels a lot like uh, rookie year J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers. Um, I think that Kenneth Walker's producing more on a per-game basis than those guys were, but just in terms of where those guys were valued, right? They had like solid, strong year ones, and they held value until they got hurt in year two. Until they got hurt in year two, they were both like top eight dynasty running backs very, very easily. Now, our next guy... Our last player in S tier, I still believe, I believe all these guys are in S tier. And again, you can jumble them around however you like. This is just how I landed. 
we have Chris Olave. And this is the first guy on the list that wasn't in my top five prior to the season and is now in my top five. He was my 109. He's now my 105. Chris Olave has been probably my biggest miss in this draft class. But he has earned this bump, rightfully so. Like Garrett Wilson, he is balling out across the board. If we look here, this is target per out run, and then I have dot next to it. And if you go down to number eight, you have Chris Olave right there. He is eighth among wide receivers in target per out run at 26%, earning a target on 26% of his routes. And the thing that is so dang impressive, man, is if you look at the ADOT, he is the only guy with an ADOT of over 15. He's the only guy within, like, he's the only guy over 13.5. Like, nobody is operating as far downfield as him and commanding as much volume as him. That's super, super impressive because the further downfield you get, the less likely your quarterback is going to step back in the pocket, have his guys block for him, and then deliver you a target. So the fact that he's commanding targets, he's getting open that far downfield is really, really impressive for a rookie. And it even it, it, it makes sense because uh, Harmon talks about in reception perception here. This is his charts. He has an all green route tree, which is crazy. He's just a route running savant. And he is in a spot here where... He is running those big boy routes downfield. You guys can see he is green on the nine route, green on the post, green on the corner. He is running downfield. They're asking him to run downfield, and he's winning with ease. Um, I do want to read a little bit what he said. He said, that's right, folks. We have a full green route success route chart in the rookie report. Chris Olave is breaking boundaries. It cannot be stressed enough how much Olave just looks like a 10-year veteran at the position. His RP prospect profile showed he was an incredibly polished player and that's instantly translated into the NFL field Olave leads all rookies sampled in success rate versus zone he ranks third in success rate versus man and second in success rate versus press he's a high-end route runner just halfway into his rookie season his craftsmanship shouldn't take away from his physical ability Olave is blazing fast and able to dust quality cornerbacks in the vertical game now I will say I probably shouldn't have read that I thought that there was something a little bit more meaningful in there but yeah so he's at the top of the class uh, again, not quite as good as Garrett Wilson against man and press, but very good against zone, very good across the board. Uh, that all green route tree is really, really impressive. Um, so he's been balling out. He's also right there with Garrett Wilson uh, in that PFF grade. So Garrett Wilson, sixth all-time in PFF grade with 84.4. Chris Olave tentatively right now is, I believe, seventh all-time with 84.3. So literally 0.1 off of Garrett Wilson. He looks amazing. He gets open. He demands targets. He's a high PFF grade. And Again, I think people aren't going to be happy that I have him at five. I think some people are going to want him ahead of Drake London. Uh, I think some people are going to want him ahead of Garrett Wilson. I can't get there. This is all it comes down to for me. Give me the two running backs that are going to hold more value over Chris Olave. And then I view Garrett Wilson, London, and Olave in the same tier right now, just in terms of like where we're projecting them in their careers. So if they're all in the same tier, my tiebreaker is just going to be where I was prior uh, to the draft and how I like them as prospects. I had... Garrett Wilson and Drake London in the same tier as prospects. I had Chris Olave a tier below. So I'm just going to lean on that for now. But again, he's my 105. He's in S tier. If you want to put him in your top three, you can go right on ahead. Now, moving on to A tier. Oh my God, we're 20 minutes into this video and I've only gone through five players. It's all good. It, dude, this is going to be this is going to be a little bit of a marathon episode. I didn't realize what I just signed you guys up for. Uh, a tier. We have Traylon Burks, my 103. So we've moved him down three spots. And he hasn't had the same type of success as Olave, Garrett Wilson, even Drake London this year. But it's largely been due to injury, which really sucks. He flashed early on, then he gets hurt week four. He returns in week 10. 
He plays sparingly in his first game. Then in week 11, he has 18.1 PPR points as the wide receiver 12 on the week. Then the next week, he plays against, or no, that week 11 game for 18.1 PPR points, he finishes the wide receiver 12 against the Packers with Jair Alexander guarding him a lot of the time. Then he had 17 points in week 12 versus a good defense in the Cincinnati Bengals, finishing as the wide receiver 18. Over that two-week span, he was the wide receiver 14 in fantasy. Now, again, two-week span, small sample size, but just goes to show he was balling out. And then the next game, he catches an early touchdown. This is last Sunday. Catches an early touchdown. It's just like he catches it, and he gets blown up, and he somehow still holds on to the ball. I have no clue how he did it. He's like damn near unconscious with like the ball in his hands. Touchdown counts. But now he's in the concussion protocol. And this is what keeps happening to Traylon Burks. He flashes, he produces on the field, he gets hurt. It sucks. It's what was happening to Christian Watson earlier in the year. So I'm not tempted to say like he's injury prone. And I, like, I know that there's some guys out there like, oh, he can't stay healthy. I'm done with him. I think that's a really weird way to play fantasy. You just need him to string five plus games together. And on a per, per route basis, he has shown that he is very good. He is 14th among all wide receivers in the NFL in yards per out run with a 2.19 yards per out run behind just Olave and Christian Watson. He has a 22% target per out run, which is solid as well, putting him at 26 in the NFL among wide receivers, which is still pretty dang good for a rookie, uh, just behind Olave, London, Wilson, and Watson. So this is a guy who was an elite prospect. He was my wide receiver two coming into coming out of the draft. He's now my wide receiver four. He's elite. He's an elite prospect. He's flashed on the field here. He's just had bad injury luck. I'm not tempted to move him much further down. After that, we have to give Christian Watson the respect that he deserves. He was my 111. Now he's at 107 here. And he's been on such a wild, wild run, man. Wild run. Like, we're talking like we're talking like OBJ rookie year wild run. If we just, you know, like rookie, I mean, OBJ went crazy the back half of his rookie year. Like the last, since week 10, this guy has delivered you 20 plus PPR points in four straight games. He's the wide receiver three in points per game since week 10, averaging 24.8 points per game. Behind that, just I believe it's just Tyree Kill and Cooper Cup, uh, or not Cooper Cup, uh, Tyree Kill and Amon Ross St. Brown, but I could be wrong there. He's been insane. He has eight total touchdowns in that span, and I think that the touchdowns have propelled his production. The issue is I think a lot of people are looking at the uh, touchdowns and saying, you know, this production has been fluky, kind of like Jahan Dotson. The issue is you look here, he has two 100-yard receiving games, and if we look at what he's been doing on a per-route basis... He can go toe-to-toe with any wide receiver in this class, man. Like, this is a guy I wasn't even that high on going into the draft. He has absolutely blown me away. On a per-route basis, he is at 2.3 yards per route run, which is 13 among among all wide receivers in the NFL. In terms of just rookies, he's behind just Olave. He's at 23% target route run, 19th among all wide receivers, behind just Olave in London when it comes to rookies. Super impressive. He's also a guy who operates downfield, where he has a 14.6-yard dot and is still above 20% target route run. In fact, I tweeted this out earlier today, but among wide receivers that have an dot of 13.5 yards or more, only Olave and Christian Watson have a 20% or better target route run. Nobody else is commanding targets like them as far as they are downfield. It's absolutely wild. Uh, after that, we're going to go down to B tier. And this is a little bit of a bigger tier here. And the first guy we're going to talk about is Jamison Williams, who I haven't really gotten to talk about since the summer. Uh, now, this is a player that is a black box, right? He played in his first game back last week. He ran literally two routes. We have nothing to go off of in terms of what he's done in the NFL. I just want to dust through sort of how I felt about him post-draft. So I have him here 
as the 108. He was my 106 pre-draft or post-draft. And this isn't a player that I usually like. He didn't produce early. He didn't really produce. He didn't produce in year one or year two. He just had a monster year three. I usually shy away from those guys, but there's something about Jamison Williams. And we I've talked about it all the time. I don't really watch film, but man, like I've I've watched not film on Jamison Williams, but I watch college football and he is just special. He has this wild speed. I hope post ACL he still has this wild speed. I, I truly think that if he ran at the combine, he would have been like high four twos. He was outrunning cover four against Georgia, who just has dogs in those in that uh, DB room. He's out of his mind. He also uh, I love Lance Zierlein's, uh prospect scores. He was the wide receiver three in this class per him behind Burks, behind Wilson, but ahead of Olave, London, all of those guys. He liked him a ton coming out. The film guys loved him. His production's insane as well. He had 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns on just 79 catches. He had a 20 yard per reception in college in the SEC. Pretty crazy. He's also, for as much as he didn't produce early, he's still a 21 year old early declare. And he didn't produce early for a good reason as well. He was at Ohio State uh, behind Garrett Wilson, Olave, Jackson Smith, and the Jigba. Really hard to go out there and produce when you're that buried on a depth chart. Then he goes to Alabama, which is like the perfect spot for him to go to and prove to us that. I can compete with competition. I just can't compete with 14 first round draft picks in this, in this room. Like even if he played his third year there, you have like Marvin Harrison jr. Coming up behind him. You have a uh, Igbuka behind him. Like that wide receiver room is absolutely insane. He goes to the, he goes to Alabama who still had a good wide receiver room. They had John Mechie. They had Jojo Earl. They had uh Jockery Brooks. I was about to say Jockery Souza, uh, but Jockery Brooks. It was a good Alabama wide receiver room. He went absolutely crazy. Again, stuff to really say much about what to expect from him here. We're still just sort of leaning on what we felt on him uh, pre-draft. But I would also say that I think he has some extra resistance versus face planning, uh, which are guys who, if they they suck their first year, they're probably going to suck forever, like Jalen Rager, Denzel Mims, Brian Edwards. But I think if you deal with an ACL the entire year, and now it's week 13, I think that's going to be too small of a sample for him. He would have to be awful. He would have to get no routes, be awful. Like, I think that he has, you're sort of grading his rookie year on a curve, I think, right? So I think that, that because the expectations are pretty low for Jamison Williams, I think it'd be really tough for his value to tank. We're going to see how that actually plays out, but that's just sort of my thoughts because it's, it's pretty rare for a rookie wide receiver to go into the year with such low expectations. Uh, after that, we have George Pickens. He was my 108. Now he's my 109. Nothing has really changed. Actually, a lot has changed. This is the guy that I loved pre-draft or post-draft, whatever. He was a gold prospect. Uh, for you guys that don't know, I have prospect. Uh, I have a prospect model that breaks them up into tiers where it's uh, bronze, silver, gold, elite, legendary. He was a gold. So that's like, you know, middle of the road. Uh, nothing too crazy, but he had a ton of upside as like this pure perimeter X wide receiver, early producer in the SEC, round two draft capital, 21-year-old early declare, all of that. But even though his rank hasn't moved a ton for me, I for sure have cooled off on George Pickens. We're going to go eight mile style here on George Pickens. Let's talk about the negatives first on George Pickens in terms of just sort of what my feelings are on him right now. And if we look at his production, it is not too good. He is at 19.2 points per game, 54th among wide receivers. He is at 15.5% target share, 56th among wide receivers. His PFF grade is in the 60s. He's just lacking across the board. Now, here is my database, and it spits out comps for him based on his year one PFF grade, his points per game in year one, his target share in year one. Now, again, these are tentative, right? So these are just through 
13 weeks here. I'm going to update them at the end of the year. So like, it's not a, you know, he still has five weeks or four weeks to go out there and ball out, but it's worth noting. Now, this is what the comps look like. It is not pretty. The high end is Robert Woods, Will Fuller, Michael Pittman. I guess you could sort of bunch in like Rashad Bateman, Cortland Sutton. But for a guy that I thought was going to have super high upside, you know, I thought that I thought that he could be T. Higgins. That's that's really the comp I like. This like Svelte, X wide receiver, early declare, second round draft pick. Uh, T. Higgins was also a gold prospect, but it's not looking that great. It's really not looking that great. Now he can for sure rip off a late season stretch that we've seen a lot of rookies do like Amon Ross St. Brown last year. If I, if I put Amon Ross St. Brown into one of these uh, into my database before like his like last seven game stretch, he'd also look pretty bad. So George Pickens, I'm still leaving the door open that he can rip something off here at the end of the year. But I think that the lone bright spot is again, we're referencing a ton of Matt Harmon's work here. So make sure you check out Reception Perception. He does great work over there. Um, George Pickens is really interesting in terms of if you want that lone bright spot, because this is where we'll, where we'll start talking about the positives on George Pickens. And this is his reception perception in-season rookie report. And he is almost at a full green route tree here, which is really impressive. And when you read the blurb on uh, George Pickens that he wrote up, Matt Harmon, he pretty much goes on to say that George Pickens' lack of production can be attributed to Matt Canada. Now, you guys know, I'm always going to push back a little bit on like narratives and like coaching is reason the guy didn't perform A, B, and C is why, and you start making excuses here, but let's just hear him out for a second. He attributed to Matt Canada's poor offense here in Pittsburgh, and the main culprit is I circled it uh, in his route percentage. So on the left is like his win percentage on those routes. On the right is like how often he's running those routes. He is running a nine route or a go route 33.3% of the time. One third of the time running a go route is insane considering that his second highest percentage uh, route is 20%, which I believe is the curl, and then 8.1% is his third most, which I believe is the out. So 33.3%, 20%, 8.1%. It's such a skewed spread towards that nine route. And when you have a quarterback in Kenny Pickett, who has kind of a noodle arm here, it's really tough to expect him to produce when one third of his routes are just him running wind sprints down the sideline. So I do understand the issue here. Again, the problem I personally have is like, we're making excuses for the guy. I think it's a valid excuse, but again, we're making excuses. So I have to sort of, I, I can't put him into like a tier or anything, George Pickens. I know that some guys want to have him in there with Burks and Watson still. I can't get there. If you want to put him ahead of Jamison Williams, again, this is why, why they're tiers. You want to put him ahead of Jamison Williams, go ahead. I just think we've seen what Pickens has done so far. It hasn't been pretty. Give me the clean slate, first round draft pick in Jamison Williams. That's just how I see it from where I'm sitting. Now, after that, we have our 110. He was my 110 post-draft as well, so he hasn't moved a ton. And it's Kenny Pickett. Kenny Two Gloves. Um, and I didn't love him as a pro prospect, and he's pretty much been like what I thought he was going to be this year. Like these, these are gold quarterbacks that have had like similar uh, clean PFF pass grade, adjusted yards per attempt in year one and points per game. And it's not pretty, but it's kind of like what we expected, right? Like coming into his NFL career, I was thinking that Kenny Pickett was going to be like a, I think Tannehill, the second name there is a great uh, comp. I think EJ Manuel is a decent comp. I think jo Josh Freeman, like these guys who were picked in like the like 15s area. It's not pretty. But he's a, he, he's at least, like, been okay. Like, he's someone in fantasy that he's been able to stream recently. And the reason that he's the 110, despite not being that great, is he's a quarterback. Quarterbacks hold a ton of value. And that's sort of just 
the reason for having these quarterbacks a little bit higher, taking a guy like Kenny Pickett, who you don't even really like in the first round. They hold value well. The reason that I have some optimism on Kenny Pickett is you guys know I'm a sucky for, suck. Oh, geez, dude. I'm about to say a sucky for the Konami, which is just maybe the weirdest thing I've ever said in my life. I'm a sucker for Konami code QBs, fellas. You guys, you guys know that. And when we sort every quarterback this year by rushing points per game, so how many fantasy points are you giving on the ground? Kenny Pickett, man, for you know a guy who wasn't a Konami code quarterback was just mobile, right? I have my archetypes for quarterbacks. You have statues, mobile, Konami. He's mobile, and that's probably as good as it's going to get for mobile. I think every quarterback ahead of him. Mariota, Kyler, Daniel Jones, yeah, all of those guys are Konami archetypes. Burrow ahead of him is also mobile, though. But if you can get above, like, 3.5 points per game on the ground, that's great. That not only raises your your floor, but it raises your ceiling as well. It, it, it raises your week-to-week floor, and it raises your season-long ceiling, which is really good. Now, the issue is the rushing presents a lot of upside, uh, which actually sort of makes up for him not being a great thrower. The thing that's holding him back is like his arm strength isn't great. He hasn't been that great as a thrower. But again, the mobility and this idea that the Steelers kind of have this organization. Uh, there's very few out there like it. Like I guess like the Patriots would be another one where you can buy into the idea a little bit that there's a lot of stability in that front office. That head coach, Mike Tomlin, has been there forever. Stability. They can kind of groom a quarterback without all the hectic stuff going on. Like when the Jets drafted Sam Darnold, you had Adam Gase. And then Adam Gase ruined him. And then you brought in another coaching staff. And I think he had like three different offensive coordinators in four years. It gets really ugly that way. Now, it sucks because I think the Steelers are going to bring somebody in for Matt Canada next year. We'll see. Um, but I don't think Kenny Pickett is awful. Uh, after that, we have one that people aren't going to like here. Uh, Damian Pierce. He's my 111 here. He was my 211 redraft. So that's a pretty dang big bump. That's a, what, full round bump for me in terms of Damian Pierce. And... I'll say, like Olave, I was very wrong on Damian Pierce. Um, again, we're moving him up a full round here. Uh, and we talked about him at length in the Dynasty Buy Sell video. But day three running backs are just really rough long-term assets. These teams just show absolutely no allegiance to the Elijah Mitchells, James Robinsons, Alfred Morris's, Michael Carter's. Any day three running back you can think of, they show no allegiance, no respect to these guys. And I know a lot of Damian Pierce, like, truthers apologists say he's a fourth rounder so when i group him in with those day three guys even some undrafted guys are like not applicable and i think the issue is that a lot of guys see damian pierce or their like favorite fourth round running back and i think a mistake is grouping those guys in with other round three running backs like almost thinking like okay round one round two round three four round five through seven the issue is that that's not really how things pan out in the NFL. This is from when I was making my prospect database. This is the points per game through the first three years for each round in the NFL. So first round running backs average about 13 points per game through their first three seasons. Round two and three are actually really close at about nine. And then there's a massive drop off from round three to round four. I cannot overstate this. There is a massive drop off. It is not apples to apples here. Nine points per game goes down to about 5.5 points per game. And oh, look, round five is very similar as well. Round four and five is about five points per game. So if you're going to group round four guys with another group of running backs, it should be round five. Round five is much, much, much closer to round four than round three. I cannot stress enough. The tier breaks happen day one, day two, day three. It is not like sort of how you want to group numbers. Um, after round five, you have about three points per game 
which isn't even as big of a drop off as round three to four, right? Round five to six is a, is a smaller drop off than that. Now, if we also look at sort of where he looks like or what he looks like in my database, we're just looking at rookie seasons, every day three rookie running back. And Damian Pierce looks good, right? He's having the fifth highest point per game season of all uh, day three running backs dating back to 2007. And the issue is, is that none of these running backs have a top five finish in the NFL. None of these guys really had any staying power in Dynasty, right? Or, or just staying power in general, right? None of these guys even have multiple top 12 seasons. Like Alfred Morris, his rookie year was insane. I believe it was on Washington and he gets kicked to the curb almost instantly. Jordan Howard was amazing for the Bears his rookie year. He was amazing in like his second year as well. And they just kick him to the curb after that. They draft, I want to say, uh, I want to say, I know David Montgomery, of course, was in the mix, but there was a guy before him that was in the mix. Um, Jeremy Langford, that's who it was. They just, like, these teams, they don't care. They'll draft guys. And when you look at the Texans, who right now I believe are projected for the first overall pick, they're already firing people in their organization. They fired their, uh, not their GM, but their executive VP of football operations, some guy high up in the front office. They fired him. We don't know how long the Lovey Smith regime is going to last there, the head coach there. There is so much uncertainty there. And I don't see the massive payoff, right? None of these running backs here have top five seasons to show for their stud rookie season. So that's just kind of my pushback on Pierce. I also don't think that there's ever a world where he's like a top 15 startup pick. So I'd struggle to see the payoff. I struggle to see the ceiling in terms of uh, holding value as an asset in Dynasty. Um, I do think, don't get me wrong, I think that he is really talented. I think in real life, he is sick. Um, his run style is very fun. I think he's going to be one of the better pure rushers in the NFL. I just don't know how that translates to dynasty, um, gaining value, producing points, all of that. So after that, we have our 12 spot. This is another guy that I was wrong on. Um, Greg Dolchich, man. Greg Dolchich was not on my radar, even slightly. We made numerous videos we got. I mean, Chico Conquo and Daniel Bellinger, two guys that we got right. Um, but Greg Dolchich was not even on my radar. I had him in my 405. I, haven't, I, I, I don't have a single share of him. And he's honestly the reason that I'm very excited this offseason. Um, I'm going to revamp all my prospect models, but I'm going to build a tight end one. I didn't have time last offseason. It's, uh, building a prospect model from scratch is a, is a huge undertaking. And the fact that I did quarterback, running back, wide receiver is a lot. Um, I didn't have time for a fourth one in the tight end. I can't wait this year to build a tight end model after pretty much learning everything that I've learned through building those first three models. So I think we're going to have tight end really dialed in this offseason. I really do. Um, so when we're talking about Greg Dolchich. We have him at 12. He was my 405 post-draft. So that's, that's just bad, guys. Um, I could even be talked into like this 112 being low. Like if you wanted to put him into A tier here, I think you could. I think you 100% could. Um, but let's talk through Greg Dolchich. And he looks great. He's running a ton of routes. And this is actually a great breakdown from Dynasty IM on Twitter. Uh, Dynasty underscore IM on Twitter. And these are just two tweets. I'm going to read from bottom to the top. He said, through his first three games, Greg Dolchitz is posting a 17.7% target share and a 74.4 PFF receiving grade. The only rookie tight end to post higher numbers in both is Kyle Pitts. He has been very good. That was through his first three games. Then we had uh, another tweet from him, December 5th. So this was after last week, I think. He, is, he came off a week where he posted a 42.1% air yard market share and 90.5 PFF receiving grade. That is insane. And if we look at the entire year, he is one of four tight ends that are putting up a 20% or better air yard market share. So just 
what percentage of air yards. Air yards is just pretty much it's a function of ADOT. So air yards is just where the ball is traveling to where you're targeted. And when we look here, we have he is above 20% air yard market share and he has a 70 or better PFF receiving grade. The only other tight ends, Andrews, Kelsey, Kyle Pitts, and then Greg Dolgich. It's wild. He is a rookie, which is insane company to be in as a rookie. Um, he looks great again, producing. He's a guy that you can legitimately stream in fantasy right now. And I love like that air yard market share stat is really good because he hasn't been like a target hog. He hasn't been above 20% target share, but rookie tight ends aren't going to do that. How he kind of supplements that lack of uh, volume is through efficiency. And he's not some yak monster like a Kittle. He is someone that operates downfield, which is really, really interesting because it adds a lot of efficiency. It's why Waller, Mark Andrews have had dominant seasons and it raises your ceiling without relying on fluky stuff because ADOT is super sticky year to year and a lot of spike seasons happen from, you know, 14 touchdowns or a, a crazy yak year like Kittle has had in the past. But if your ADOT is routinely among the highest among tight ends, just on a per target per route basis, you're going to produce more fantasy points because you're already implying those yards on those targets, if that makes sense. So he is in a spot here where he is one of four tight ends this year with an 11 or higher ADOT. It is him, Kyle Pitts, Darren Waller, Mark Andrews. Waller and Andrews operate as these downfield like receiving threats as tight ends. That's a really valuable role. So I'm very excited about Greg Dolchich long-term. He is my tight end eight in Dynasty right now. He's a really exciting guy. And again, somebody I'm kicking myself for missing on in draft season. Now we finally have our last tier here. We're going to call C tier. And these guys are like pretty much early seconds that were all valued around early seconds pre-draft. And I think that you could probably still value them there. Uh, Jahan Dotson, he was my 112 and now he's my 201. So he's stayed about the same spot. Uh, he's someone I wasn't excited for coming in. Still not excited, but I'm holding on just because of the draft capital. He was drafted in the first round he hasn't face planted, and that's really all you need to have any kind of hope going into year two. And in terms of production this year, he hasn't really done much outside of score touchdowns. Uh, if we look at his rookie comps, they're actually pretty dang. They're they're pretty scary, fellas. They're pretty scary. These are first round rookie wide receivers that are within twenty percent up or down of his PFF receiving grade, points per game, target share. And sure, you can point at. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins and say, you know what? He's going to be DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins was an elite prospect. These other guys, Tavon Austin, Jalen Rager, Rashad Bateman, were also gold prospects. Jahan Dotson's the worst prospect out of these guys. If I was to guess where his career ends up, it'd probably be somewhere between Rager and Bateman, right? Where Bateman, we don't know what his ceiling looks like. And he's kind of this question mark. And he actually looked really good this season. And Jalen Rager flamed out hysterically. So then that could be Jahan Dotson, where he just flames out hysterically. He could also be somebody who's like a wide receiver too for his career. I think that that's in his range of outcomes right now. Again, he's at 9.2 points per game, but I think that he has like five touchdowns, which is an absurd like 20% plus TD rate. If we look at just on a per route basis, it's so tough, dude. He is at 12.3% target per route run, which is 97th among 105 qualified wide receivers this year. He's at 0.9 yards per route run which is 98th among 105 qualified wide receivers. It's not good. But again, I don't expect him to, to face plant. And because he has first round draft capital, it's hard to push him much further down than that. Now, after that, we have Rashad White. Or no. Yeah, we have Rashad White. And this is somebody that I liked as a prospect, right? He has a, a crazy receiving profile. He's six foot, 214, runs a 448. He's played 
over 50% of the snaps in his last three games, starting over Leonard Fournette here. He's been at 15.8 points per game as the RB11 in points per game over that span. That's really solid. Uh, the upside is there. The only thing that I'm really concerned about right now is he's he's about to turn 24. So he's going to be 24 years old heading into year two, similar to a Najee. But when you're not a first-round pick and you didn't you know, put up 18 points per game as like a top-five running back that year, it's a little bit tougher. I think that, that, I think that age is going to come to hurt him uh, sometime soon. After that, you have James Cook. And James Cook is like Rashad White, where it's tough to evaluate these running backs. Uh, they're in part-time roles this year. It's tough. It's tough to kind of gauge where they're going to be at for the rest of their year. Now, if we look at James Cook, he actually just recently had his best game of his career. He had a 43% snap share, 40% of the team rush attempts. He had 14 carries, 6 receptions, 20 touches total, 105 yards, 16.5 PPR points as the RB13 last week. That's really impressive. He is also showing to be really good as a receiving threat. He is second among all running backs right now with a yard per out run of 2.16. If we look on this list, his ADOT too, he's he's not just catching like swing passes out of the backfield. 1.9 yard, yard ADOT is really strong. It's higher than McCaffrey. It's higher than Kamara. It's higher than Eckler. He's catching passes, passes downfield. He's being efficient on his routes. That is really good for a guy who is never going to profile as a like 25 touch. Like if, he's never going to be a 300 carry guy, James Cook, of course. But when we see things like this, where his receiving uh, profile or his upside is actually warranted, that's exciting. Uh, also, side note, Brees Hall's 5.3 yard ADOT. I wanted to bring it up earlier when we talked through Brees Hall's receiving profile. 5.3 yard ADOT is insane. 5.3 yard ADOT for, a, for a, a rookie running back, never mind a running back. Like on this list, you guys see again, James Cook, McCaffrey, Kamara, even Naeem Hines is an elite receiver, Austin Eckler. All of these guys are under 2.5 ADOT. He is doubling that ADOT, catching passes five yards downfield on average. That is really crazy for a running back. He was operating downfield as a pass catcher. It wasn't on a small sample either. He was like almost leading the NFL in targets early on in the year. Um, and not to just keep going on a rant about Brees Hall, but 5.3 yard ADOT is most among all running backs. Second is 3.3 yards. So a two yard gap to second on how far downfield he was catching passes. So I think that, that kind of highlights his upside. Now that is our top 15 rookies from the 2022 class. Like we drew it up before the year. Um, as always, I appreciate you guys sticking around. This one ran a lot longer than I wanted it to be, but I think that a lot of, I think a lot of the dynasty sickos will really, really appreciate this one. So if you did hit the like button, subscribe. Also, if you want access to my dynasty rankings, where I have all of my rookies ranked on there, dynasty startup, uh, super flex tight and premium top 200, all of that good stuff will be on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart in the description and at the top of the comments below. And as always, if you can't contribute there, any likes, subscribes, comments go a long, long way. That's going to do it for today. And I will see you guys in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Tenno, Chatham's on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.